Hey guys, my name is Pastor Ron. So glad that you tuned in to the podcast of Allentown Fellowship Church. Each week we're going to endeavor just to walk through the Bible book by book and then give you some truths that you can apply to your life. So welcome to the AFC podcast. Trust and pray that God's word today will be a blessing to you. Talking about this book that Mark is putting forth the question, which is, who is Jesus? Good. You all get an A. Um, this, this part of the, the gospel of Mark, we're kind of midway through the gospel here. And it's interesting with all the miracles that have happened, everything that Jesus did, coming of the sea, all the different things that happened. Now we get to this crucial chapter where Jesus just, not in a parable, but in a very plain way, looks at his disciples and says, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? You got an opportunity to follow me all this time. You saw me heal the woman, the leper, the demoniac. You saw me calm the sea. You saw me walk on water. You saw me give everybody a free lunch two times. Who do you say I am? And this this is the question that we all have to wrestle with. Who do you say Jesus is? Again, I go back to C.S. Lewis. You've probably heard a quote many, many times. C.S. Lewis said what? You got to make a choice. Either he's a lunatic Jesus crazy, I mean, because he actually thinks he's God. That will put you in the category of crazy. <laughs> or he's a liar because he said he was God. So that make him a liar. Or he really is Lord. He really was God in the flesh. See, as Lewis says, th- there is no, like, other answer. You, either he's Lord, liar, or lunatic, right? There was only three, right? <laughs> three choices. Which one? And... If he truly is Jesus, son of God, God in the flesh, I mean, think about what the psalm that we read this morning, describing God in that majestic way with the oceans and all of that. Like that God came down, wrapped himself in flesh in the person of Christ. Man, that changes everything. It does. It means like I have an answer to life. I have an answer to the pain that I see, the suffering, purpose, meaning, morality, destiny. It's all wrapped up in who Jesus is and what he said about it. Why? Because he's God. (laughs) I think that's why it's so important that as, as believers, we stay in the word, stay in the word, stay in the word and do what Jesus said. Come learn of me, learn of me, learn of me. Your whole perspective changes when you have God's perspective. You stop learning of God, what's going to happen? You're going to end up with your own perspective. So Jesus is going to put this important question. And we're going to see Peter is going to confess. He's going to give the right answer. You are the Messiah. It's like you can hear the crowd like, Peter, you got it. Awesome. No, he didn't get it. He didn't get it. He started out with the right answer. So there was a lot of 
up to this point, a lot of teaching that Jesus was doing, as you know, remember we've been reading, and immediately Jesus, and immediately Jesus, right? He got into a boat, went over here and talked. Then he came back on the other side, and immediately, all of this hustle and bustle. Now things kind of slow down a little bit. The cross is getting closer, and Jesus focuses in on his disciples to ask that question, who do you say I am? Now, remember last week we talked about this healing of the blind man, and I said, I really believe it's an allusion to the disciples. I think that's a real event that happened, that he actually did heal this blind man. But I, I, I think Mark put it there for that reason, to show a parallel of what's happening in the disciples' spiritual eyes. They're beginning to see who Jesus is. Remember the man said, I see men as trees. Like he was able to see, but he wasn't seeing clearly. And then Jesus had to touch his eyes again, and then he saw, right? You see this happening spiritually with the disciples. They're starting to get it. They're starting to get it. They had to learn through Jesus' teaching and through his ministry who he really is. So let's ask God to open up our eyes as we jump in. Father, thank you for the word. God, I pray now that your word would penetrate all of our minds and hearts. God, help us to see Jesus accurately. And then, Father, to leave this place with the application of the truths that we learn. In Christ's name, amen. Verse 27, and Jesus went out, went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. So this location is interesting, right? They're not in the heartbeat of Jerusalem. They're on the outskirts. They're right on the border of where it would no longer be Israel, but now you're into like Roman territory, pagan territory. They're right on the borderline. Like, like why is Jesus meeting them there? That's interesting, right? They're in the villages of Caesarea Philippi, this little, this town located uh, or, or named in honor of Caesar. That's why they named it Caesarea. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Now, it's interesting because Jesus had really good ratings in the polls. He really did. I mean, they came up with some good characters that he could have been, right? As far as his identity. Look at how they answered. And they told him, well, some think you're John the Baptist. I, that, that, that's pretty cool, right? John the Baptist was well-respected. Remember we read about John the Baptist's relationship that, that, that even Herod tried to protect him because, like, he enjoyed talking with him? It's like, wow, some people think I'm John the Baptist? Okay. Others say Elijah. Wow, Elijah. That Old Testament character? Yeah, remember Elijah never died? What happened? He was taken up. That'd be like the best roller coaster ride. <laughs> Just swooped up into heaven. And others say one of the prophets. Now, it's interesting because the people that they're saying that Jesus may be, it would require really kind of like, wow, that you must be somebody from God, whether you're John the Baptist or Elijah or another prophet. So at least the people are acknowledging what? Jesus is not just an ordinary rabbi. He is from God. And then Jesus, in 29, asked that crucial, crucial question, and he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Tell me what the people think about me, but you've been with me. You're my inner circle. We've 
done ministry together. You've been through thick and thin. You've been with me with the crowds and the arguing, the Pharisees and all the miracles. The disciples have been right there with him. These are his boys. So who do you guys say I am? And of course, Peter being the spokesperson for the group, Peter answered him, you are the Christ. Woo, amen. All right. You are the anointed one, the Messiah. Did Peter get it right? Did he get it right? Well, it depends your definition of Messiah. <laughs> Peter's right. He's beginning to see, yep, Jesus is the Messiah. But look at what happens. Even as Peter confesses he's the Messiah, Peter does not understand what type of Messiah. Peter's heart is focused on a political Messiah. You're the Messiah that's going to come and get Rome off of us. You're going to free us politically from Rome. So he confesses that he is the Messiah, but he doesn't understand what type of Messiah. Look at verse 30. Interesting. Peter says, you are Christ. But in 30, Jesus says what? And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. You scratch your head and say, wait, wait a minute. Wouldn't you want people to know, like, we got it, Lord. <laughs> You're the Christ. Let us go tell people. And actually, a better translation here, I don't like the word charge. I like the original word, which is rebuke. Jesus, rebuke them. Don't you dare tell anybody. That's how that verse feels. Now, why would he do that? Why would he do that? Well, I think as we're going to see here in a minute, because Peter doesn't understand what type of Messiah he is. Don't you boys go running into the villages and going running back into Jerusalem and saying, we found our political Messiah. Don't you dare go tell anybody. You don't understand what type of Messiah I am. I am not a political Messiah. He rebukes them. Don't say a word to anybody. Now, how do we know that they didn't get it? Well, before we read on, one commentator quote this. I, I like this quote. Jesus is the expected Messiah in the most unexpected manner. That's what through the disciples. So look what happens in 31 after Peter gives his confession, you are the Messiah. Jesus rebukes them, don't you dare tell anybody. And now he informs them in verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Now, you can just imagine the look on Peter's face and the disciples' face. Like, uh -oh, uh -oh, uh oh, hold on, wait a minute. <laughs> wait, no, no, you're the Messiah, right? Mm -hmm. I'm the Messiah that was prophesied in Genesis 3.15. Yeah. Okay, so where is suffering? Rejected? Killed? Like, 
Hold on. I thought you were coming to get rid of Rome. You see, they didn't understand. When Jesus explains to them exactly what his mission is, he didn't say it in a parable. He was very clear to them. I'm going to suffer, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests, and the scribes. They're going to kill me, and three days later, I'm going to get up out of the grave. He just put it right there plainly. You got it, guys? That's why I am. Does that match the Messiah in your head? Well, we know it didn't. Because look what happens. Now you got to imagine. Look at Peter. Peter took him aside. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, Lord. <laughs> God, I'm talking for a minute. Yeah, it's probably the son or something got you all a little mixed up there. Come here for a minute. No, Jesus, no. You're, you're the Messiah. You're, 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 you're going to establish this political kingdom like now. We're going to take out Rome. Like, what are you doing? Talking about you're going to be rejected and suffer and die. Like, Jesus, Jesus actually is pulled aside by Peter, and what did Peter do? Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. By the way, that's the same word that was used up in the other verse, but they translated it, charged them. It's the same word, rebuke. Just like Jesus said, don't you dare tell anybody. Peter says, Jesus, I need to talk to you. But Jesus is not just having a conversation with Peter. Peter took him aside and rebuked him. Stop it. Stop talking that way. Don't you know, Jesus, you're the Messiah? Like, you're going to take over. You're not going to be... Peter missed it. See? He's seeing that he is someone, but he doesn't quite understand what type of Messiah. Look what Jesus says. But turning and seeing his disciples... Now notice, Peter kind of took him aside. So you got a picture, like they're having this conversation. Now he takes him aside, rebukes him, but then look what, look what Jesus does. He turns, looking at the disciples, before he says what? He rebuked Peter right in front of him. Peter rebukes him. He turns, looks at the disciples who no doubt are listening like, well, what's going on over there? And Jesus publicly rebukes Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. What's going through the mind of the other disciples? Oh, whoa. Jesus just called Peter Satan. What's going on here? See, Jesus was very clear that his mission was to go to a cross, a bloody, brutal cross. And here, Satan, using Peter to try to do what? No, that's not going to happen. That's not what, trying to tempt him, right? It echoes of what happened in the wilderness. Jump off of the pinnacle, change this stone to bread, right? Peter essentially is saying, no, you will not have to die. You will not have to suffer, which is right in the face of what God said, why Christ came. So Jesus turns 
Seeing his disciples, he rebukes Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the thing of God, but on the things of man. Peter was looking for political redemption, not spiritual. Your mind is on the things of man. Later, these disciples are going to be fighting over what position they can have in the kingdom. <laughs> Which shows they didn't get it. Lord, when you go into the kingdom, can I sit at the right hand and, you know, you sit at the left hand? Oh, Lord, who's going to be greater in the kingdom? They were, they were simply looking at how does Jesus being a Messiah, how's that going to benefit my agenda? How's it going to make my life better now? And Jesus rebukes them. You don't understand God has a bigger plan than setting up a political righteous kingdom right now. The redemption of man is the next thing on the timeline. Now, in the future, he will come back ruling and reigning and set up a kingdom. But they wanted it now. They thought he was going to do it now. That's why when he ended up hanging on a cross, you hear someone say, and we thought he was going to be the one. We thought he was going to be the one to restore us, to save us. But then you hear the centurion saying what? Surely this was the son of God. Interesting, everybody's take on who Jesus is. Some were purely looking for their social, economic lives to get better. That was their view of the Messiah. That's how small their view was. And they could go to the Old Testament and show you many passages that talked about the Messiah coming in and restoring all things. But they miss one crucial part. He came as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. And that future kingdom of perfection will only be at the end when God consummates all of history and wraps it all up. The disciples missed it. 1 Corinthians one twenty three says this, Paul talking about preaching Christ, but we preach Christ crucified. And you know what that is? A stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles. What Jesus was purporting, the type of Messiah he explained himself to be, to these Jews are like, that's crazy. You're going to be a dying Messiah. You're going to be rejected and beat and brutally murdered. You're not our Messiah. That's not the Messiah we signed up for. Now, it's interesting. On the heels of this, 34, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, he's going to do what now? He just finished rebuking Peter. Now he's going to explain to the crowd and the disciples, guys, you got it all wrong. You want to follow me? I'm not your political messiah. Let me tell you what you need to be if you're going to follow me. You can just feel in the disciples their expectations just going down, being dashed, because they thought, they had linked arms with the Messiah who was going to destroy Rome. And we're his cronies. 
No. Look how Jesus unpacks what it means to be a disciple, a true follower of him. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. In other words, get rid of your selfish ambitions, which these disciples had. At this time, Lord, will you restore the kingdom? Can I sit on your right hand? Can I sit on your left hand? Who's going to be greater in your kingdom, God? They were all about themselves. That's not what a follower of Christ is. They were aligning themselves with Christ because of what they were going to get out of it. Kind of like what politicians do, right? You know? They were going to be promoted. They had envisions of being, you know, part of this political system because Jesus chose them. Selfish ambitions. But he said, if you will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, the sign of suffering, perhaps even death, and follow me. That does not sound like following a victorious Messiah. <laughs> like if we're going to follow you, we're, we might die. And of course, we're, we're reading this, but we're on the other side of this. And we know that's exactly what happened. The disciples being martyred for their faith. But they don't realize this at this point, right? Take up his cross and follow me, for whoever would save his life will lose it. Think about this. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. What is he saying? You know, oftentimes we live our lives so much for the here and now. We're trying to preserve our life now. Storing up goods, storing up toilet paper, storing up whatever. Right? It's like, I got to protect my life now. There might be some wisdom in storing up some toilet paper, right? <laughs> I'm not going to fault you for that. <clears throat> but, but what is he saying? You're so focused on your temporal life, the here and now. You got to be willing to lose even your physical temporal life with all of your selfish ambitions. You got to be willing to lose it. Why? Because there's something more important. That's the life that I'm going to give you. For whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. Why? Because you have eternal life in me. And we're going to see again in the lives of the disciples, in the lives of the Apostle Paul. History says that Peter was crucified upside down and, and, and others burned at the stake. Hebrews talks about those Christians that were sawn in half, burned. Followers of Christ who said, if my life is interrupted physically, my comfort is interrupted. Now, watch the qualification. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels. See that qualification? In other words, Jesus is not advocating that. Well, if I'm going to be a follower of Christ, I'm going to sell everything I have and live in a box. See? No selfish ambition. That's not what he's saying. It's not what he's saying. The point is, for the gospel's sake, if my life is going to be affected because of my stance for the gospel, because I am a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm not making apologies for that. Oh, yeah? Well, we're going to arrest you. Put the cuffs on. Because it's not about me. It's about Christ. Now, we don't, we, we perhaps can't 
put our teeth around this or sink our teeth into this because we have so much freedom. You talk to the believers over in the Middle East. You talk to the believers in China. They, they understand this. They're willing to lose their life, their comforts, everything. Why? For the sake of the gospel. Because they understand what? This life is temporary. This life is temporary. And even if you live a good 90, 100 years, it's going to end. And if I know Christ, I'm with him throughout all eternity. So I'm not going to let anything in this temporal world Stop me from following Christ. Which following Christ doesn't mean just walking in obedience to what Christ said, but standing up for Christ. Like we're going to see him say in a minute, not being ashamed of Christ. I'm going to preach the gospel. These disciples had a whole different thing in mind. They thought they were about to move into plush territory and a nice political kingdom. No, boys, you don't get it. You're going to follow me? This is where you're going to end up. If you lose your life due to the gospel, your life is not lost. So then notice what Jesus does. He kind of gives some accounting. Man, you appreciate this. What does it profit a man? Let's look at the ledger book. To gain the whole world, everything you want all your ambitions and forfeit his soul. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? You know, Satan's biggest, one of the biggest things I think Satan uses in all of us, if I had this, man, life would be so much better. If I could just achieve this level, if I could just achieve this dollar amount in my bank account, if I could just have that car, all of these things that are earthly, then my life would be fulfilled. Listen, if you feel that way, your life is already empty. There's something bigger going on on the inside of you. And even when you get those things, you're going to still feel the same way. Because nothing can fulfill that but Christ. So Jesus says, let's, let's go to the extreme. What does it profit a man if you gain the whole world? Everything you want. Not just your little list everything you want, and forfeit your soul. But what can a man give in return for his soul? What is Jesus hitting on? Guys, you and I sitting here today, people watching this video, you will live forever. You are an eternal being. I do not believe the Bible teaches annihilation. You will live on past this human body being put in the grave. Jesus is like, do you realize you can't pay for your soul to live in the presence of God, to be with God? You, you can't pay anything for that. Well, I'll live my life up, and then when I stand before God, I haven't trusted in Christ for salvation, but at that point, I'll do a transaction with God. Jesus is like, so what are you going to give for your soul? Like, how does that work? Uh, Lord, I was a billionaire before I died, and my golf airplane went into the sea, but I got plenty of money. Like, what's that going to do? <laughs> You're dead. You're standing before God now as judge. What can a man give in return for his soul? Well, what, what's the answer? Nothing. You can't buy eternal life. 
The only transaction that's good is what Christ did on the cross. Faith in Christ alone. Look at 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, look how he characterizes the world in this adulterous and sinful generation. Wow. Of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. I believe that's dealing with the coming judgment at the end. What is Jesus saying? The most important thing, disciples, and crowd, your most important thing is your eternal salvation, your soul being redeemed. Nothing in this world can do that except Christ. You want to be a true follower of me? You got to pick up the cross. You got to follow me. Wherever faith in Christ leads, you got to be willing to go through it. Am I signing up for the next persecution? No, I don't want persecution. But if by living in obedience to Christ, it's going to end up being persecuted, I'm going to be persecuted, then so be it. This is what he's getting at. It's not about my, I'm not trying to find my comfort. I'm not trying to find an easy way to do Christianity, right? I'm going to walk in obedience to God. Why? Because my greatest need has been taken care of, my salvation. I'm headed home. We're headed home if we know this world is not our home. So why don't you just sell everything and just do nothing? Because there's nothing wrong with enjoying life now. God said a man ought to enjoy the fruit of his labor. There's nothing wrong with that. I want to travel. I want to see some places. I want to do some things. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's not where my security lies. I'm not going to feel like I missed out if I don't get to do my bucket list. No, my bucket list is filled. I know Christ. <laughs> I'm going to be with him throughout eternity. You know, it's kind of like living in a house that you really, really love and you're enjoying the house. But, you know, in six months, they're going to bulldozer it down. <laughs> like, like this whole block is condemned. But you can stay here until the bulldozers come, but the bulldozers come. So you enjoy life and you, 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 you enjoy it. And then get out of the way because it's going to be plowed over. But for us, if that were the end of the story, then as Paul says in Corinthians, you and I would be miserable. If in this life, it's only about this life, that would be miserable because everything you work for, all of your possessions, all of your education, all of your whatever, it's all going to come to an end. And if that's what your hope is in, yeah, this life is miserable. But our hope is not in this life. It's in Christ. It's in eternity. So now I got to live life with, enjoy life now, but life doesn't have me. Christ has me. Man, that's a hard balance to keep sometimes, right? How do you know you're keeping the right perspective? Well, you can ask yourself some questions. You can ask yourself this question. Is there something that I really feel, honestly, if I had in my life, my life would really be worth living? Like I would really, 
man, if I just had this, I just feel like I would have so much more contentment. If you feel that way about something externally, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. Because you're giving something externally a position that only Christ can fulfill. Again, nothing wrong with trying to better yourself and better your jobs and better your degrees and better your education. But it's kind of like, was it Wesley that said he lives with his hands open, right? Go for, go after that stuff. And if God allows you and go, but then if God takes it away, you never, so what? I don't find my identity in this world, in my position, in my education, in my experiences. I don't find my identity in that stuff. I find my identity in Christ and what he has done. Man, I tell you what, it makes living in a world of uncertainty so much easier when you got this perspective. <laughs> the world's going crazy! And you're going to be like, yeah, yeah, it is. It really is. Anything else? <laughs> How come you're not going crazy? This is my home. I'm just here temporarily. I'll try to do life around crazy while it's happening but I ain't worried about it. This ain't my home. <laughs> Be with Christ. Man, if we could get this perspective, how much anxiety, how much depression will begin to go out of our lives? Are we projecting on Jesus what we want him to be rather than who he is? That's what the disciples were doing. They thought he was a political Messiah. And they started to get it. But their spiritual eyesight was a little, a little dim. Now, they got it after the resurrection. They got it after the resurrection. But maybe you and I are doing the same thing. We're, we're putting on Jesus Christ, projecting on him what, what we need him to be for us in order for us to kind of like be sold out to him. It's like, really? We don't understand who Christ is. How about this? Are we not hearing what he taught? Are we not hearing what Jesus taught? And thereby reducing his authority, because we're not hearing it, we don't want to hear it, and we're replacing it with our own authority. In other words, here's what Jesus says clearly is wrong with mankind. Here's what Jesus says the way we ought to live. We're, we, we don't want to hear that, so we say, well, no, let's replace that with this. So you're removing him as the authority, and you're putting yourself in as the authority. So I'm starting to hear in our culture now people redefining what Jesus taught. Yeah, you better believe that's going to bring persecution if you're a true believer and you hold to what Jesus taught. Well, no, Jesus, no, no. Jesus would have never said that. Jesus would have never said that. No, he clearly said that. No, 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 no. The Jesus, I love when people say that. The Jesus I know loves everybody. The Jesus I know is going to send nobody to hell. The Jesus I know. And I'm like, well, I agree with you. That's the Jesus you know. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. That's, that's the Jesus you know. We don't have to worry about hell or judgment from God. Can you tell me why the cross? Why was he murdered on a cross? If we don't have to worry about that? Well, they just didn't like him and, and you know, they ended up crucifying him and it was just bad. Bad people did that. Yeah, it's a little bigger than that because Jesus kind of said, you're not taking my life, I'm laying it down for an atonement 
to appease a holy God. You start leaving that out of the gospel message, you don't have the gospel. And that's what's happening in our culture. So what I'm saying right now, one day could very well be deemed hate speech. Yes, it's very possible. YouTube may take this video down one day. Because he's there's a pastor talking about sin and hell. And oh, God's got love. And the minute I cave to that for my comfort, I'm not following Christ. I don't know what our cross is going to be that we have to bear, but this whole American Christianity thing that screams more comfort than Christ, I think God's sick of. Where's the cross at in all of our Christianity today? Where's the cross? Oh, can you believe they only have vanilla creamers? Oh, got to bear this cross. What? Are you kidding me? Right? I, I, I mean, seriously, guys, I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, Jesus is saying, deny yourself and pick up your cross. I think that's a universal truth. What's your cross? What's our cross today? I think Satan is duping a lot of people into redefining who Jesus is, redefining what the gospel is. Are we creating our own Jesus? Are we creating our own Jesus, our own Messiah? That's what the disciples were doing. And they were disenchanted when Jesus was like, that Messiah in your head is not who I am. So what's the takeaway for us? Jesus clearly had to explain to the crowd and his disciples to follow him, truly follow him, is to follow him at all cost. At all cost. Doesn't mean that you can't live life. Doesn't mean you can't enjoy life. Marry, have kids. May they be bountifully around your table and all that and the wine flow off of your beard and all that stuff. <laughs> but here's the point. When any of that pursuit bucks up against what Jesus wants out of me, I forsake it and I do what he wants. When any of the way I live goes contrary to what pleases is Jesus. I don't do it. Plain and simple. If anyone will come after me, deny your selfish ambitions. Deny yourself. Got to have this attitude. Not my will, but God's will. That's the attitude Jesus had. Not my will, but God's will. Am I looking for suffering? Am I signing up for suffering? No, no. But if it comes, then it's the cross that Jesus wants me to bear. And that's okay. Because what? If I lose my life for the sake of the gospel, my life is saved because of the gospel. You know, more and more I begin to understand as I talk with people in places where there really is persecution. China, Middle East, some of these African countries, so many of these men and women, they get what Jesus is saying here. They get it. 
we're not even talking about first world comforts. They don't even have those. Forget that. That's not even that's not even in their life. They don't have first world comforts and they have true physical persecution because of the gospel. And they're like, it's good. We're good. We know Jesus. We're going to keep doing mission and doing what Jesus has us to do until he says time to come home. Man, what a perspective. That's God's perspective. So who do you say Jesus is? You may have an answer in your head of who you say Jesus is, but then you need to ask the follow-up question. What is it that Jesus requires of you? What does it mean to be a follower of him? Is that also your attitude? So who do you say he is? And what do you think it is he would have you to do? How should you be following? He told us plainly. Is that how you're following him? Father, thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for the cross. God, I thank you that we can call you Father. And no matter what happens in the months and years to come, God, I pray that our following Christ, standing up for Christ, would not be swayed, that we would not be ashamed of you because of the pressures that we may feel in this world. God, help us to realize who we are in you, what you did on that cross, what you did by coming out of that grave. And God, may our life be a life that proclaims Jesus Christ. You are Lord, you are King. And one day you will visibly be ruling and reigning for all Father, will be in subjection to you. Till that day, may we live our lives each and every day in a manner that pleases as you. Grant us the wisdom, Father, to keep this balance of living in this world in light of the next world to come. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the AFC Podcast. I hope and pray today's word has challenged you to align your thinking with God's word. If you would like to come visit us for one of our services, we would love to have you. We are located at 457 West Allen Street in Allentown, Pennsylvania. We are in what is called the Daybreak Room, which is housed in the Doves Community Center. 457 West Allen Street, Allentown, PA. Our services start at 1 p.m. So if you're looking for a church that sticks to the word of God, come on out and join us. We'd love to see you. Till next time, God bless.